Why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hosea. Chapters 1 through 3 is where we'll be talking about. As we do that, I would like us to pray. What I'd like to ask you to do is I'd like to ask you to ask the Lord. Lord, would you speak to my heart? Because I think it's important that God speaks to our heart today. So would you just pray out loud with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. I open up my heart. I open up my ears. I open up my spirit to what you would say to me. Speak to my heart and change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't do that if you don't mean it, because I promise you, when you tell Lord, Lord, I open up my spirit to you, there's something that he responds to men and women who open up their spirits to him. He wants to meet you today. He wants to speak to your heart. It's easy to tell people something. As a pastor, I have the privilege of preaching. And those who preach, some of our other pastors, those who preach know that that's an exciting thing because God puts something on your heart and it's a burden. And the Bible says it's like a fire that's shut up in your bones. And But after 45 minutes, I get to do it twice on Sunday mornings. I enjoyed doing it twice. I love that. But after 45 minutes, you're done and you're spent. And if you've been around pastors like Lori's dad, Sunday afternoons for years, he'd go home, he'd sleep. Just totally, a lot of pastors like that, they're just totally spent after they share. So there's times in which God gives you a message that he wants you to tell somebody. That's actually pretty easy compared to the times that God gives you a message and he asks you to show somebody. To tell them, it's usually done in just a few minutes, and you're done. To show them, a lot of times, cost you something more. It's usually not done in just a moment or two. It's usually done over a period of time, and we're going to come back to that thought, that idea at the end of our message, but I want you to get this idea that God spoke to a prophet. This prophet's name was Hosea, and this was about 2,700 years ago. He spoke to the prophet Hosea, and Hosea was to show, to demonstrate. The Bible says this about the Lord, that God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just tell us he loved us. He gave us a visible demonstration so that you could see it. And every time people see a cross... They remember what Jesus did. He demonstrated his love for us. God wants to get a message to the people of Israel. They're in a really bad state. Really tough state. I mean, really bad state. It's bad. It's terrible. Horrible. You can't imagine how bad of a state they're in. It's a depraved people. It's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And God wants to show them, he wants to demonstrate something to them. The verse that I have for you, Hosea chapter 1, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So God speaks to him. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived... And bore him a son. Now there are different opinions by scholars about Gomer. Some suggest that at the very beginning she was already this immoral woman. Okay? She was already an immoral woman. 
Others suggest that she came from a background of immorality. That's what she grew up around. That's what she was used to. That's what she saw all around her. And if we understand the situation in Israel at that time, that could be a possibility. Others suggest that she simply had a proclivity towards immorality and that later on she became unfaithful to her husband. We do know this. According to chapter 4, the spiritual condition of Israel. God said this about Israel. God said there's no faithfulness. There's no kindness. There's no knowledge of him. There was swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and sexual perversions. The prophets and the priests were corrupt. They no longer taught the knowledge of God. And that's where you've heard this scripture before where it says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. You know where that's found? That's here. This is where that scripture is found. When you've heard that, and sometimes I'm not sure where that's at. It's in this portion of scripture that we find that really important verse. This is where God said concerning the priest. He said, because you have rejected knowledge, I've rejected you as priests. So God speaks to the religious leaders And he says to them, hey, because you've rejected knowledge, because you've rejected the things that I've taught to you, I've rejected you. I don't want your ministry. Sit down and shut up. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. Don't bring me anything. I don't want anything to do with what you're doing. The religious leaders were opportunists. In their greed, they were profiting from the sins of the people. The Bible says that the land was filled with prostitution and drunkenness. The people had become idolaters. And in in essence says under every tree and every high place, they were offering sacrifices to Baal. So what it really was, was it was just a lot of partying, if you want to know the truth. It was a lot of partying and sexual immorality. The people had become idolaters. They even offered human sacrifices. And their leaders boasted about things that they should be shameful of. I don't mean to get political, but it sounds to me like some of things that are happening in our country today, where people want to boast about things that are immoral, things that people used to blush about, people stand up for and defend, things that are against God. And that's the situation. It was just rampant immorality. It was rampant drunkenness. It was rampant destruction. The idea, once again, I want to go back to this, that God wanted to demonstrate to the people. Gomer was to be the wife of a faithful prophet. Hosea was not a bad guy. A lot of times people want to make someone out to be a bad guy. Hosea was a godly man. He was a righteous man. He was kind. He was faithful. He was loving. He was forgiving. He was compassionate. He wasn't some abusive person, some horrible person. He was a person of integrity. And Gomer was going to be unfaithful to him. Israel... This picture, once again, Israel was to serve. They were to be betrothed to a faithful God, a loving God, a kind God, a compassionate God, a God who provided for them. And Israel, too, was unfaithful. In Hosea 1.3, it says this, So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish 
the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lorumah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen. But I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Rahumah, Gomer had another son. And the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. What did he tell them? He said, you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. But he says, name this little child Lo-Ami, which means you're not my people, and I'm not your God. Now, Hosea did exactly as God had commanded him, and he married Gomer. Over time, three children were born. As they were born, they were given names by God. The first was Jezreel. Jezreel was a city and a territory where much of the wickedness associated with Israel's history originated. Remember, I think the beginning of it would go back to King Ahab and Jezebel, okay? Or a good portion of it. That's that area where it took place. So much of the sin that Ahab led the people in, the idolatry that they led the people in. And so God brings up that name. The second name, the second child was named Loruhama, which means not loved or not pitied. Some commentators suggest that this speaks prophetically of the coming judgment that's going to come upon Israel in 722 BC at the hand of the Assyrians. All of you remember the story of Jonah, right? All of you remember the story? What happened to Jonah? He got swallowed by a great fish, right? God told Jonah to go to where? But what did he do? He went the other way. All right? The storm came up and the ship got lost. Poor old Jonah. He got tossed. Three days and nights in the belly of the well. You guys recognize that song from when you were a kid? All because of Jonah. The Lord didn't fail. Jonah was called by God to go to this town of Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'm not going. And after he goes and preaches, and the whole stinking city repents, and as forgiveness, they even made their donkeys and their cattle fast. You're getting serious. When you make your dog fast, you're getting serious. Jonah did not want to go there because he said, God, I knew you would do this. I can't imagine a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist going somewhere and preaching and being so upset when everybody gets saved. It doesn't make sense to me. We're thinking, well, Jonah, he just must be a goof. There's something wrong with him. He was mad. He was depressed because he said, God, I knew you're good. I knew if they repented that you would forgive them and that you would have mercy. God, I know how kind you are and how loving you are. The reason why Jonah felt that way is because the Assyrians were horribly vicious people. When they would go into and capture a city, they would kill not just the warriors and they wouldn't just take people captive. They would go in and take babies and throw them off the walls. They would put up stakes 
and, and, and throw people down and impale them on stakes. They would fillet people alive. They would kill mom, grandmom, great-grandmom. They would kill newborn babies. They were vicious. They were horrible. They were some of the most horrible people that you can possibly imagine. And so the reason why Jonah didn't want them to get saved, it would almost be like, imagine a person just escaping Auschwitz where they see all their families murdered. Then they say, well, hey, do you want to have some Germans over for coffee? You want to give them some tea? You want to do something nice for them? There was this anger. So what God is saying to them is, if you continue on, you're going to come to a place where there's no longer any pity for you. There's no love. If you keep going on in your sin, you're going to come to a place where there's no compassion, where there's no pity. That's one of the things that God said to him. And that's exactly what happened. The third child was named Loami. One author writes, this name seems to have significance both to Hosea's marriage and to Israel's relationship to God. We don't know the circumstance of how the truth about this child was discovered, but it appears that somehow Hosea came to the realization that this child was not his. And we can well imagine the personal devastation Hosea felt. Of course, the prophetic symbolism is that just as Gomer had brought forth a child born of her harlotry, so Israel has brought forth its children and spiritual harlotry by going after idols. Loami's name isn't simply an acknowledgement of the fact that Israel had played the harlot. It's a declaration of disownership. Israel, having been unfaithful, is about to experience the full effect of being cut off from God. So the account of Hosea and Gomer was a picture of a relationship between God and his chosen people who were betrothed to him, Israel. Gomer lost interest in her husband, and she looks for excitement elsewhere. She thinks that her lovers are the ones who take care of her and provide for her. She doesn't realize that it was her husband who cared for her and provided for her even during the times of her adultery, the whole time. But at a certain point, Hosea realizes that he can no longer shield his wife from the consequences of her choices. And those consequences begin to catch up to her. In Hosea chapter 2, it says, She has not acknowledged me, that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and the gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens, and my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. So now, the consequences, I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Now, here's the reality. Eventually, for Gomer, doing what she wanted to do, following her own impulses, 
led Gomer into bondage. She was broke. She was spent. She was abused. She was used up. And now her lovers actually sell her into slavery. Over the years as a pastor, I've witnessed the effects of sin upon people's lives. And if we go around this room, many of you could tell the story of seeing the effects, the devastating effects that sin has upon a person's life. It's funny how when people give themselves over to sin, they think there's something wrong with you when you try to block their path. They think you're trying to hurt them or to stop them from having joy or happiness when you try to, please don't go that way. Please, watch out. This is not good for you. This is not, no, this is what they want and this is what they go after. And over the years, I think of a woman who traveled a thousand miles to meet a man that she had been connecting with over the internet. She slept with him only to have him drop her off at the psychiatric part of the hospital when he was done. Uh, He didn't care about her. She thought, he's what I need. I need someone who cares about me. I need someone who loves me. My husband, he's this. My husband, he's that. Only to have the man, as, as soon as he's done with the weekend, he drops her off. He doesn't put her on a plane. He doesn't put gas in her car. He drops her off at the psychiatric part of the hospital. That's what he did. I think of another woman, a wife who abandoned her husband and children. And I still remember the phone call. It was a day in July. I'll never forget it. The husband and his kids were begging the wife to stay. They wanted her to stay. Don't go. She decided that her lover was what was good for her. She wanted what she wanted. Only to have her lover beat her and choke her till she passes out. Her kids worry about her. They're grown up now. They worry about that someday her new husband might kill her in their rage. Friends, sin is a delusion. It promises so much. It promises so much. Sin is intoxicating. The very thought of sin, it plays with people's minds. It promises so much, but it's all a delusion. It delivers so little. Sin always carries with it consequences. Not just on the person who commits a sin. When we talk about the story of Hosea and Gomer, oftentimes our focus is on Gomer and how she ended up in slavery and how she was abused and how people just used her up and took advantage of her and and how they mishandled her and, and hurt her and the difficulties that she experienced. But she wasn't the only one who was hurt. She wasn't the only victim of her sin. She had a faithful husband who loved her, who was standing by. We've all seen the toll this betrayal has upon the innocent. In my mind, I think of a young man. He spent a couple hours sitting at his dad's grave. His dad had died when he was like 10 years old. He spent hours sitting at his dad's grave trying to figure out, talking to a granite stone, trying to figure out, what do I do now, dad? What do I do? What about my kids, dad? Do I give all this up because of her unfaithfulness? You see, this demonstration was not just about Gomer, the one who fell. It was about the pain and the humiliation God felt and his unfailing love and his complete and total dedication to unfaithful Israel. Some would call Hosea a fool. They saw how Gomer interacted with him. They saw how Gomer interacted with other men around. She hadn't just lost interest. She had come to despise Hosea. 
You could see it in her eyes. You could see it in her expressions. You could see it in her body language. She always had a reason to be gone. Always an excuse. But after a while, she quit lying and quit covering up. She was exposed. But that didn't stop her. She became even more brazen when she was caught. Even more defiant. She also became more deceived. In her heart, Gomer says, it's my lovers who care about me. It's my lovers who are providing for me. It's these illicit things that are bringing satisfaction to her. In her heart, she says, Hosea doesn't do anything for me. Hosea doesn't care about me. It's my lovers who provide and care for me. Well, eventually, Hosea quit providing for her and life came crashing down. And there she finds herself. She's on the auction block. What an irony. The betrayer became the betrayed. Friend, don't play games with the devil. He always steals. He always kills. He always destroys. You are never going to win. You are never going to win when you play games with the devil. It never works out good. And so she finds herself, here this one who betrayed now finds herself betrayed. And there she stands. Can you picture her? Her hair is matted. Her clothes are worn and tattered. Her face is weathered. Her hands and feet are dirty. The weight of her shame keeps both her head and her eyes pointed down. There is a deadness and numbness that permeates her being. And that's what sin does. Sin kills your spirit. Sin does something to the inside of you when you give into it, when you surrender yourself to sin. Sin has a way of destroying the very core of your being, your very life. What promises fulfillment and joy and satisfaction sucks the very life out of you. And there she stood. Anxiety fills her thoughts as she wonders what's next. Who's the next man who will hurt her? Who's the next man who will abuse her? Who's the next person who will steal away a part of her life and leave her a little more dead? And then the bidding starts. And praise God, she recognizes the familiar voice. I want you to hear something. If you can recognize in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of life falling apart, in the midst of the consequences to your sin, if you hear a voice that you recognize, turn your face that way. Turn your attention that way. Don't let the shame, don't let the reproach, don't let the attack of the devil keep your eyes from turning to that voice that you know. The Word declares this, that my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. She heard the voice of her husband who bid on her. He purchased her. He redeemed her. He bought her back. Friends, you and I have a Savior. We have a gracious God, a gracious Savior, who's paid the price for your sins and mine. It doesn't matter how low people have gone, how separated from God they've become. There's a Savior who, when it comes time for them to stand upon the auction block, He says, I'll give my very life. I'll give my very blood for them. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what Hosea did for his wife. She heard His voice. The Scripture says this. Hosea 3, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress. 
Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. God used Hosea to demonstrate to all of Israel. Sometimes people can tell you, but sometimes people demonstrate it. Sometimes people can tell you about it, but when you see the picture, when you see the graciousness, the kindness, the unfailing love of the Lord towards his people, in spite of their sins, in spite of their wickedness and unfaithfulness, in spite of how they hurt and despised him, when they were at their lowest, he was there to redeem them and set them free. What a gracious God we serve. Can I tell you what our community needs to hear? Can I tell you what the man or the woman who's struggling with alcohol or drugs the man or the woman who's slipping out to the hotel last weekend to have an affair with some woman or some man. Can I tell you what they need to hear? They need to hear about a God who has not turned his back on them. They need to hear about a God who shed his blood, who loves them, who in spite of the fact, listen to me, there's people who are sitting in churches across America today. They're in bondage. They're controlled by their old sinful nature. Their old man controls them. And they need to hear that there's a God who will purchase them, who will redeem them back, who loves them and desperately wants them. He wants them. Can I tell you what I've told some people? I had a person one time who was very brazen about what they were doing. And I said, I'm going to tell you what I would, if I was your husband, what I would have done. I would set your junk out. Your junk would be outside. They're brazen and rude about them sinning against their spouse. Let me tell you what would happen to if you. If I was him, I would set your junk. It would be out on the street and I would be at the lawyer's office now. There's no way under the sun. Your behind would be outside. There's no way I would put up with your stupidness. And ironically, the Lord turned that around for those people. But see, if you let people continue in their sin, they can't do that. There has to come a point where a person says, what I am doing is wrong. But here's the thing. To that person who doesn't have hope, to that person who thinks God has forgotten about them, to that person who thinks God doesn't care that they've gone too far, God says, I'm willing to purchase you. I've not given up on you. I've not turned away from you. My heart is still for you. What a gracious God we serve. And this imagery that we have here, it's not just the brokenness of Gomer. It's not just her brokenness. It's not just all the consequences and the shame and the reproach and the devastation that sin brought upon her life. It's about a God who's willing to forgive. It's about a faithful husband who's willing to love in spite. Put those things behind them and to move forward. In spite of how they were hurt and how they despised him, when they were at their lowest, he was there to redeem them and set them free. As I said, what a gracious God we serve. And how our sins, here's the thing, is we can look at these things and we can point a finger at Gomer and we can point a finger at Hosea. But here's the thing, how our sins, our sins, how our sins have offended and hurt a holy, gracious God. 
And yet in his love, in his mercy, he's forgiven us. He loves us. He is not giving up on us. It's to the point where other people would look at it and say, if you keep doing this, you're a fool. Don't let them keep sinning against you. Don't let them keep hurting you. Don't let them keep doing this. And yet God's heart was still for his people. If they would repent, if they would turn, he would pardon their sins and he would restore them. When we hear about Hosea and Gomer, there's a reality that we're Gomer in some ways. You may not have been unfaithful in your marriage, but in some ways you and I have sinned against God. Sometimes again and again. Sometimes we've sinned against his graciousness, his kindness, his mercy. And again and again, he shows love to us. So what should this account demonstration show us? The first thing, it should cause us who recognized what he's already done for us to respond with a spirit of gratitude. When you recognize that, you know what, God? See, I hear people saying this about church people. I hear people saying about church people, church people think they're better than somebody else. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm 49 years old. I've been going to church for over 50 years, okay? Because I went nine months before I was actually born. So I've been in church for over 50 years, okay? What I saw in church, I didn't see people who think they're better than somebody else. I didn't see people who looked down their nose at someone else. I saw people who were thankful that they'd been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That people who say, there but by the grace of God go I. But if it weren't for God's grace, I would be in that situation. I see people in church who say, God rescued me. He was gracious to me. He picked me out of the pit. I don't deserve his grace and his love. I see people who care about others and they try to warn other people. I know where that's headed. I've been there. I don't want you to experience that. I don't see this arrogance that so many people say that the church portrays, but it should create in us a spirit of gratitude. When we just say, God, you've been so good to me. Thank you. Can I say this to you? Most of you, you know, you didn't experience all the consequences that you deserved. God's been good. Whether you grew up and accept Jesus at five years old or whether you waited until you were 50 to finally come to him. You understood that it's been the grace of God that's worked in your life. So there should well up within our hearts a spirit of gratitude. The second thing this should cause, it should cause those who find themselves caught in bondage to find hope. Wait a minute. I have things in my life, you may say, where I'm messing up. I'm in a bad place. There's hope for you. God hasn't turned his back on you. He's not rejecting you. He says that those who come to him, he'll no wise cast out. And so even if you're in a difficult situation, you realize when you see the story of Hosea and Gomer, you realize there's hope today. Look at the heart of God. He doesn't want to punish. He doesn't want to get revenge All he wants is my heart. All he wants is my love. He doesn't even want me to pay him back for the harm I've caused him. All he asks me to do is from this point on, will you devote yourself to me? Will you be completely mine, as it were? The third thing, the third thing that this count should do, it should cause those who find themselves on display to find purpose. I'll say that again. The third thing this is going to do, 
those of you whose life is on display, you should find purpose in that. I believe the other part was from the Lord too, but as I started this message, this is what God gave me. For some of you, your life is on display. You don't understand why you have gone through and why you're currently going through certain things. It doesn't make sense. Can you imagine Hosea? Well, God told me to marry her. Can you imagine the nights that he was up? Can you imagine him trying to comfort his kids? Can you imagine him walking through the marketplace when all of the other people, here he is, a man of God, and all the other people are whispering and talking about him and the embarrassment and the sorrow that he was experiencing, all the emotional things that he would have gone through. There are certain things in life that doesn't make sense. But God has chosen you not to tell them, but to demonstrate his heart to an audience that's watching. God wants you to show somebody what perseverance is about. Don't tell them. I want you to demonstrate for them what long-suffering is about. I want you to demonstrate for them what forgiveness is about, what sacrifice is about. You could tell them till you're blue in the face, but God has placed you there to show them So here's the first thing I want you to do. If you find yourself in that place, you're like Hosea. You're facing things that don't make sense. You're suffering in some way, and there's some difficulty that it just don't make any sense. Why? You know, I know this. I know that God told me there were going to be people in the room who that's what you're experiencing. There's things where your life is on display. Here's the first thing. The first thing is trust him. If he put you in the situation, if he allowed the circumstances to take place, trust him in that, that he's going to do something good out of it, that in the midst of it, this isn't for nothing. There's a purpose. Trust him. Be faithful. In the midst of the difficulty, don't quit now. Be faithful to the Lord. He's given you the strength to persevere. He's given you the strength to keep going on. So you keep doing that. You be faithful. And the final thing is don't drop the ball. Somebody's watching. Somebody needs to see it. Listen to me. You think of all the people. I can't imagine what Hosea must have felt. I can't imagine the horror and the pain. Some of you can because you've been there. I can't imagine that. But can you imagine the glory that 2,700 years later, people are still, 2,700 years later, people's lives are still being impacted because of the picture, because of the demonstration that Hosea allowed God to do through his life. It's amazing. What you're suffering through, what you're going through, is not without purpose. God's going to take that difficulty and he's going to bring glory to himself and it's going to far outlast your pain. That's a word from God for somebody. It's going to far outlast your pain. The glory of it will far surpass the pain and the suffering that you're enduring for a moment. The Bible says weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. What a good God we serve. There's a part of it, it's an ugly, horrible picture, but it's a beautiful picture in the same thing. 
a beautiful picture of a gracious God who redeemed us and loves us. And it doesn't matter how far we've gone, He comes for us. He rescues us. A beautiful picture of strength and stamina, of saying that my life, the difficulties that I'm going through are not wasted, that God is going to use them. Friend, He's working in your life. May you be encouraged today in the Lord. If you are caught, may you find hope. Go back to those three. Three, number one. If you've been set free and God's rescued you and he's purchased you with his blood, he's brought you out, may a spirit of gratitude, I just want to pray with you. I want to pray that as we're sitting here, a spirit of gratitude just wells up within you and say, oh, my heart was distressed neath Jehovah's dread frown. I'm going to break out another song. In the low in the pit where my sin dragged me down, I cried to the Lord from the deep miry clay who tenderly may brought me out to golden day. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He puts a song in my soul today. What is it? It's a song of praise. Hallelujah. The spirit of gratitude. Number two, hope. You're caught. You're in a difficult place. Listen. You'll hear his voice. All you got to do is listen. I don't care how dark it is, how far down you've gone, how painful it is. If you listen, he's speaking. He's calling. He's saying, they're mine. I've paid the price for Third one, purpose. Those of you who are suffering through difficulties, it's not by chance. The delays are not for nothing. The setbacks are not for nothing. God has you on display, and he's going to be glorified through your life. He's going to be glorified to a way that it's something that's a picture for people to see and offers them hope. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I thank you that we serve a gracious God who's loving and kind and forgiving, who came after us while we were still lost in our sins. And you've loved us. Man, you are good. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, no matter where people are at. If they listen, if they call, if they call upon the Savior, he will forgive and pardon. He will redeem us. He will set our feet upon a rock. And so I pray no matter where people are at today, Lord, if they find themselves in a difficult place, in a difficult situation, maybe because of their own choices, Lord, may they call and reach out to you because you will hear and you will answer them. And I thank you, Lord, that you're using our lives. Even the things that I don't understand, even the hard times, even the trials, even the things that don't make sense, God, you have a purpose I thank you that you're going to redeem what the devil meant for evil. I declare that over this congregation. I pray that what the devil meant for evil in their lives, that you would turn around and bring good out of it in the name of Jesus. And I pray that it would bring glory and honor and praise, that it would reveal what a great God we serve. And we'll thank you for that. Don't let it be wasted, God. Let it have purpose, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.